I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season six, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada within about 12 months. So she was scared. Something out there scared her. You've just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Right now, Canada's governing party is on something of a losing streak. A new survey shows a majority of Canadians think Prime Minister Justin Trudeau should resign instead of running in another election. This has had roughly the result you might imagine. So we've seen since basically July this sort of double-digit lead that the Conservatives have developed that is new. There's been, a, you know, two, three, four years it was a competitive race. And all of a sudden we saw these numbers move. And why I think they've solidified is because we're seeing really no movement. Even a former Liberal, a senator, has publicly called for the Prime Minister to walk away from his post before the next election. Will he? Well, for one, how do the Liberals know that anyone else would do better. Why would Trudeau want to give up being the leader of his country right now for what looks like perhaps a chance the party loses by a little less in the next election? At this point, the polls show a serious distaste among Canadians for the entire federal Liberal Party. So there might not be a successor waiting in the wings. They would have to look outside the box to a non-politician to lead them. And there is one name that keeps coming up. But the last time the party did that, it didn't go so well, to say the least. Would Justin Trudeau step aside for that kind of outsider? Would the Liberals really try that again? Would it be different this time? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Stephen Marr is a writer, a reporter, and a political commentator looking at the fix the Liberals find themselves in for iPolitics.ca. Hey, Stephen. Good day. Why don't you start by telling me, and I don't want to dwell on this because I already mentioned it um, in the intro, just how bad things are looking for the federal Liberals right about now. I think I saw one national poll today that was like down 15 points. Not great. Not great at all. It's been a long time since a governing party in Ottawa was in this kind of pickle with as much time out until the next election. I was speaking with Philip Fournier about this recently, the pollster, and he mentioned that uh, it reminded him of 1992, Brian Mulroney, where they had a long runway with bad polls. It looks a, a bit similar to that. You have a government that is unpopular in every province that has been for a couple months trailing the opposition conservatives in the polls. For a long time, they've been doing badly with men. Now they're doing badly with women. And when that kind of situation comes together, there can be sort of cumulative effects because members of Trudeau's own team, other politicians start to see him as politically vulnerable mm-hmm. and the problems can get worse because of the self-interested actions of other people who want to take advantage of his bad polling. Is there any way for us to know how much of the Liberals 
straights are due to a dislike of Justin Trudeau himself and how much is due to simply bad politics, wanting a change, uh, preference for Pierre Polyev or something else? It's hard to unweave all of those threads and say, well, this is it. The last time that a prime minister won four elections in a row was Wilfrid Laurier in the television era and perhaps even more so in the social media era. Eventually, the appeal of politicians kind of wears off. Justin Trudeau has had some difficult moments for a long time. People who are outside of his natural constituency, especially men, especially older white men, Hmm. have been finding him to be a sort of irritating scold, a virtue signaling, woker than woke kind of guy. And at the same time, as events go along, people within his constituency are disappointed that he hasn't lived up to the potential that they previously saw in him. Hmm. And very importantly, there are serious economic problems. Right. And it really doesn't matter whether governments do the right things or not or don't do the right things. When the economy is bad, people blame the government. I mentioned in the intro and even uh, played a clip from uh, an abacus poll that said a majority of Canadians, uh, not all liberals, obviously want him to resign before the next election. I believe earlier uh, this week or last week, there was a longtime liberal who was now uh, a senator out east uh, who called on him to resign. Do we know, first of all, how likely that is? But second of all, if that would make a difference, has it been done before? So we don't know how likely it is. Justin Trudeau is, in some senses, quite a talented performer. So Justin Trudeau might well be planning his imminent departure. And if he was doing so, it would be in his best interest not to demonstrate that to anyone, including his closest aides. Because the minute that he signals that he's on the way out, everything changes. Then he's a lame duck. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can speculate about, well, he would want to outlast so-and-so's father. And, you know, eh, I don't think there's much point in that. We don't know whether he wants to stay on and fight another election, whether he wants to go. So we just got to wait and see. That, that's what we got to do. As to whether or not a different leader would be more successful, I think that's hard to know. I mean, if we look back at 1992... Brian Mulroney saw that there was a terrible reckoning coming for his party and he got out of the way and Kim Campbell took over. For a while, she was leading in the polls, but that did not work out and the party got a terrible drubbing. So I know that some people think, well, uh, better the devil you know. Some liberals think better we stick with this guy. Whereas other people like Senator Percy Down, who you mentioned, are saying it's time. We got to we got to move on and take our chances with someone else. Let's talk quickly, just because uh, many listeners probably don't remember or or were not old enough to remember uh, the Brian Mulroney to Kim Campbell transition. How does it work when a sitting prime minister resigns as party leader? Like what happens? Well, he announces a leadership convention. Typically, anyone who's interested in the job has to resign from cabinet. So then there's a cabinet shuffle. And then there's a uh, sort of strange leadership race. Because whoever wins it becomes prime minister. Right. We saw that with Paul Martin. We saw that with uh, John Turner. We saw that with Kim Campbell. It, it happens from time to time. The electoral record of success of people who take over in those circumstances is not great. Normally, they go on to lose to whoever is leader of the opposition. I want to talk about who might be interested in this job if it became available. Obviously, uh, 
It's the top job in the country. The list will be long, probably would include a number of cabinet officials. But because the party is trailing in the polls by so much, and because, as you mentioned earlier, it's kind of hard to wrangle how much of this is distaste for the party and the cabinet and Trudeau or just Trudeau himself. I first want to ask about a person outside of the party that you wrote about in iPolitics. So who is Mark Carney, for those who don't know him, and and what has he said at this point about his inclination to potentially even want this job? Well, he said that uh, he wouldn't rule it out, that he might be interested, and he's doing the kinds of things that uh, people do when they're interested, give speeches, attend events, comment on the, the events of the day. He is a very impressive person former uh, governor of the Bank of Canada who left Canada and then went to become governor of the Bank of England. I believe he was the first non-Briton to ever hold that job. He did it through throughout Brexit, walking a very careful line effectively in warning Britons about the likely consequences of Brexit. And, and he looks like a, a genius for having warned them they would pay a price, which they have. He's very strong on the environment. After he left the Bank of England job, instead of going to New York or Los Angeles or wherever he would want to go. He moved back to Ottawa. People sort of thought, well, that may mean that he wants the job. However, he has never run for public office. Hmm. And my experience as a political journalist is that until someone actually is a political leader, it is impossible to tell whether they have the instincts, the ability to connect with people. And the conservatives say that they're salivating at the chance to run against him, this elitist, this central banker, that that's just the kind of poster boy they would like for the Laurentian elite. Hmm. So uh, it's a huge question mark. Well, you compared Carney to another former liberal leader who I believe had not been in politics uh, before he got the job, uh, Michael Ignatieff. Uh, who was Ignatieff? Is that an apt comparison? Well, a lot of people make it. Mr. Ignatieff was a Harvard professor, a historian, a public intellectual. Another very impressive resume. Yes. And he took the Liberal Party to its worst showing in, in modern history. He brought them uh, to, to third place uh, and lost his own seat. And he was someone who had not been through the rigors of political campaigns and didn't have the skills. And he had been an MP. Mr. Carney hasn't even... Uh, been elected as a member of parliament. Hmm. And uh, there's a thing that you see sometimes in politics where business executives, and Mr. Carney's not quite a business executive, but it's a similar sort of thing. In business, people do what you tell them to do because they're working for you. Right. Politics is largely about persuasion and bullying, I suppose. You know, there's all these kind of subtle elements to it about trying to get people to vote for you, trying to persuade other people to, to do what you want. You look at somebody like Jason Kenney, the, the former Alberta premier. He was a star in Ottawa as a minister. And then when he became premier, he couldn't even last out his term. So you see people who are very effective in other ways, but once they become leaders, they, they don't necessarily have what it takes. Is there any way for Someone like Carney, let's let's use Carney right now because we're discussing him, um, who has that impressive resume and who is looking to chase a uh, huge uh, political leadership job like this to bridge that gap between uh, the business world and their resume and the realities of politics. And I guess if we're talking about Carney here, he's doing it against a ticking clock. 
Yeah, well, I think he should have got in sooner. He's left it kind of late. Showing up as a savior isn't as good as showing up as a helper Hmm. who then takes over. Uh, But there are things he can do. In my article, I suggested that he uh, do debate prep. This is the kind of thing that is very important part of politics that we don't talk about very much. They put a video on you and you have to argue with people and then they sit down and watch the video and say, well, see how you said there? People wouldn't like that. Don't say that. What you said there, that's good. Now practice it again, right? It's draining and difficult and people don't always want to have to do it. Justin Trudeau did a lot of it and it's part of why he was eventually able to become prime minister. So that's the kind of thing that Carney would have to do. The problem that I see is that what I know about extremely successful and rich 58-year-old men hmm. is that they uh, are, are not necessarily in the phase of life where they're looking to be uh, belittled and um, treated like they don't know what they're doing. Right. And I mean, as you mentioned, he makes an incredibly uh, inviting target for the current rhetoric uh, from the conservatives. Yeah. He, he appeared uh, to testify before a committee and Polly have grilled him. And Polly have had a field day at, at this committee, and it's not really a fair, it's not a debate format, so that Carney wasn't really there to clash with the guy. But politics isn't fair. And if you had a rerun of that kind of thing with Polly of just kind of mauling him and Carney acting like he wouldn't lower himself to respond to this kind of sleazy yapping, hmm. right? That was his tone. He just kind of looked like, well, this is all beneath me. I'm not going to respond to this guy. You know, that's a recipe for uh, disaster. Right. You know, on the other hand, he's a formidable character. To me, he seems like up there with like Chris Hatfield or in terms of a Canadian who has excelled at the highest kind of level. Yeah. And we should want people like that uh, in in politics. But shouldn't they have to earn it? Well, that's right. Yeah. In my column, I said that trying to become a political leader at 58 is a bit like deciding to become a concert violinist in your 50s. Where were you when all the other people were, were practicing playing the violin all those years? Let's talk about the people who have been playing the violin. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we, we don't know if the distaste is for the liberals or Trudeau, but uh, let's say Carney realizes he needs a, a few years of seasoning and Trudeau does step down. Who's the front runner? Is it Christia Freeland? Uh, is there anyone else? The vibe I'm getting from Ottawa is that people don't think she wants this. Hmm. People think that she's decided that that's not for her. That it's not a great time, perhaps, to to be the one to step in and take the beating? Yes, that's right. She is widely admired for her abilities in government, you know, her uh, capacity to get things done and advance files, certainly on the NAFTA renegotiation thing. Everyone thought she did a great job of that. But her communications are sometimes not what they could be. So she would be formidable if she decided that she wanted. But lately, when people talk about it, they don't talk about her. They talk about Melanie Jolie, the foreign affairs minister. They talk about Anita Anand, the defense minister, Francois Champagne, the industry minister, all of whom have uh, good qualities and and, uh, would be interesting to, to see in a leadership race. The reason I wanted to talk about Carney specifically with you is when you look at the way things are trending, do the liberals need to be throwing a Hail Mary here? Is there any way back that doesn't involve some sort of massive shakeup? It's hard to know. Sure. Right? Like I, I've talked to people in who think that as a defensive play, running Trudeau again might be the best idea. Hmm. He's just got the name recognition. 
I mean, people don't really think about that in politics. People know who he is. They mostly are tired of him, but at least they know who he is. And he is an energetic and effective campaigner. And in Quebec, where they have to hold on to those seats, any other leader might have a harder time doing that. On the other hand, people are heartily sick of him. People who happily voted for him a couple times and begrudgingly once, Mm -hmm. just kind of getting tired of his shtick, basically. And they would be voting against uh, Polyev, the people who vote for him next time, if it's Trudeau, rather than vote for Trudeau a fourth time. Yeah. And that can work. That's been the liberal strategy for a while now. Yeah. You know, I, I said Joe Biden who said, uh, don't focus on uh, the choice between me and the almighty. It's between me and the other guy. Hmm. And Polyev has, I think, unexploited vulnerabilities. The liberals have not been trying to frame him. They have not been doing paid ads. And there are things about him that when voters look closely at it, may give them pause. It's impossible to predict ahead of time. For example, not that long ago, he was enthusiastically promoting policies to try to um, allow people to leave fiat currency behind and invest in Bitcoin. Right. He was saying it would be a, a good hedge against inflation. Anyone who had followed that advice would be broke now. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely avenues to attack here that the liberals are, they say they're doing it, but they're, they don't seem to be doing it. Hmm. You know, and a question like that, as a political observer, I think, well, you have to put it to the guy and make him defend it, and then Canadians will come to a judgment. Maybe he can say something convincing. It's not predictable, but the liberals are not even organized enough to put him on his back foot and make him explain himself. It will be uh, fascinating to watch over the next year uh, plus, I guess, as, as this whole thing unfolds and as we, we get even further into the should he stay or should he go. Fascinating, but probably not a lot of fun. It's going to be all kind of depressing. Still, we're, we're better off here than a lot of places in the world. And we should thank our lucky stars. We're in a, uh, a country that's uh, reasonably safe. I could think of uh, far worse uh, predicaments to be in than choosing between uh, these politicians. So thank you, Stephen, as always, for joining us. My pleasure. Stephen Marr, writing in iPolitics.ca. That was the big story for more from us, including... Previous chats with Stephen about the fate of the Liberal Party and other political parties, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us anytime by finding us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN, by reaching out to us via email, hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca, and by calling us and leaving a voicemail. That number is 416-935-5935. You can find this podcast in absolutely every podcast player. And if you don't find it in yours, please use that email I just gave you and let us know. We'll get it there. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.